Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Trent Robinson, an Australian rugby league coach and current coach of the Sydney Roosters, winning in 2013, 18 and 19. He's a former professional footballer himself who played for both the West Tigers and the Parramatta Eels. Away from football, he speaks fluent French, he's a father of three and a cricket tragic. And Brad Haddon, a former New South Wales Australian weirdkeeper batsman, playing 66 tests for Australia and 126 one-day internationals. He scored four test hundreds and took 262 catches behind the stumps. Away from cricket, he's a commentator, an entrepreneur, father of three and a rugby league tragic. Let's get started. Welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Trent Robinson. Welcome, Robbo. Thanks, Shane. Good to be here. <laughs> and Brad Haddon. Welcome, Had. Thanks, Lee. Robbo, how are you going? Now, Hads, I, know, I know you don't speak French, but entrepreneur, it's a French word, isn't it? Mate, it is. I, I tell you what, though, Lee, I, I'm pretty excited today. Yeah? I am a rugby league tragic. I like my rugby league. And I'm not the sort of person, when you come on something like this, to Google. Yeah. I think you know enough in sport, there's enough people around and I like that Robbo's views on the game and how he articulates about rugby league going forward and how he's measured. Yep. But what I did find out about, Kookaburra Ball can do funny things to people. <laughs> and what I've found out about Robbo is soon as he, a bit like Mitchell Johnson, beautiful guy off the field, speaks really well. But as soon as he gets that kookaburra in his hand he's, and the steam's coming out of his hand, he's a, you're a big left arm quick, weren't you, Robert? <laughs> I, was, I thought I was a big left arm quick. I, I think I loved my cricket. I loved my cricket uh, growing up and obviously got to face Shane on a few occasions yeah. in the uh, in the nets uh, out at Campbelltown which was uh, yeah which was my young days which was and great. And that's when we first met you were a left yep. hand bat as well I think yep. we, we were calling you the Adam Gilchrist the third grade there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now Robbo um, uh, let's start with the Roosters and um, mate you, you, start, you won your first premiership in 2013 which that must have been amazing in itself to, to win your first year. How the Roosters going this year looking pretty good I think they're probably peaking at the right time. Yeah we it's been an interesting one so we won in 18 and 19 and when you win you, you're trying to repeat that and, and trying to continue that and we sort of were trying to hold on in, in 20 and 21 and we weren't as good and then this year felt really new for us it felt quite fresh uh, about the way we we're going to move over the next couple of years so start a year we started really slow experimented a fair bit um, some things worked some things didn't and then uh We've started to be really clear on our style of play and what type of players are going to fit into our system over the next couple of years. So we've accelerated the last uh, few months yep. uh, and I feel like we're playing some really good footy. It was interesting what you said at the start of the year and you never normally hear a coach say this because it sort of potentially could reflect bad on themselves, but you said you weren't ready for the start of the season. No, we we just missed the, the mark. We had a few guys that had... Um, uh, some different surgeries and some different um, sort of work done and we were really we were missing most of our starting lineup leading into late February we got a couple of them back in the last week Joey Manu James Tedesco Luke Keary they were all one week of training with the team before we started and we yep yeah, that's the way that we started the season um, and you, you want to so you take your pick you always want to finish well yeah. 
but the start of the season is about building a foundation of play and also building a foundation of points yep. so that you can do that at the end of the year. Gotcha. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I feel like we're sitting outside the top four is because we missed the mark at the start of the gotcha. year. Yeah. And had I mentioned at the, in the intro that you're, you're a rugby league tragic, but Hard not to be. Growing up in Canberra with the likes of you know, Daly, Stewart, Walters, Meninga, Clyde, Marlins into a hole, those sort of things. You, were, you, were, you played footy yourself. Why did cricket take over? It was a physical contact, actually. I had enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I remember uh, playing a grade game uh, when, I, when I was 18, and, and Gavin Miller, actually, had just retired from um, the NRL. And, and we're playing Goulburn, we're playing the Queen Roos, and, and I remember in a tackle... He's playing with my eyes and doing things. I sort of threw my elbow to, to get him away. And, and he just put a couple of quick ones on my chin. And I thought, well, what, what am I going to do here? So I just got up and played the ball and, and, and jogged on. And come half time, my old man walked past me when I was walking in the shed. He just tapped me on the knee. He said, Bradley, go to cricket. Yeah, <laughs> made the call. Yeah, he said, uh, he said, you can't let him do that. I said, I'm going to cricket. So I was the same as any young kid growing up in the country. I enjoyed all sports. Robert, what, um, in your eyes, and I want to ask you both about coaching, because you've been involved with the IPL hats, and, um, and Robert, in, in layman's terms, what, what, what do you view as a coach? What, what actually makes yeah. up a coach? Yeah. So the foundation is you've got to have knowledge because your technical capacity has to be there because otherwise you can't dance through year on year without helping guys. So technical knowledge has to be good, have to think about the game um, strategically about how to win in different ways yep. and then the biggest part that makes you endure is uh, can you get those things across in the way that a player is going to understand it and do you care for your players yeah big time and and has, cricket's changed even since I've retired you know which is a while ago now but in the last 10 years in particular with the you know the onset of of T20 cricket What's been the biggest change you've seen from a coaching perspective in cricket? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one, Lee. I, I think the big thing I've seen with, with coaching in cricket when I, when I first started is a lot of guys that play the game and naturally to go, go into coaching. And what you're seeing now is, is a lot of people who, who are just surviving, who want to be in the game. It, it's a great lifestyle to, to be around. There's great opportunities around the world. But a lot aren't stimulating the, the environment. They're not, they haven't got a good technical knowledge of the game. But... I think that's starting to, to change now with, with cricket. I think the guys going into coaching now are really passionate about creating an environment, getting the players um, better, because they don't need the money. They don't need the, the money to be involved because cricket's been so good and, and yep. the landscape's changed. So I think we're just starting to see a lot of our best coaches. You've got guys like Ricky Ponting and, and Trevor Bayliss over at the IPL. Yep. The hard thing at the moment is getting the best coaches back in Australia because it's so attractive to, to go around the world and coach. You have a three-month block where you probably take oh, four months out of year, but you can have the rest of the time off. Where If you do commit to coaching, whether it be Australia, you, you've got to be all in. You're away from home 300 days a year. So the big thing I'm seeing is a lot more opportunities for guys overseas. Uh, really interesting because I think rugby league, uh, coaches have experienced this probably a lot more than cricket coaches and, and by that I mean um, now by going coaching the IPL you're coaching with different players from different uh, religious backgrounds different um, uh, from different countries from different beliefs different systems um, how, how has that helped I know it's definitely helped the Indian cricket team because 
the mystique of the Australian cricketers has, has sort of gone because I've actually played with them and met them. Um, did you find that hard, sort of bringing this, those different cultures together? No, I think that's a, the beauty of going to, to IPL, F- finding the way that stimulates your environment and, and getting the best out, out of everyone. You've got guys coming in from, from South Africa who might have just come off the back of a, a six-month block and, and, and this is their window for, for a break. You've got your Indian con- component there yep. who, who you need to spend a lot of work with technically, tactically and, and sometimes emotionally um, coming into a, a big tournament like the IPL. So it, it's, it's something that... It stimulates a lot of people because you've got the best players in the world, and the and the pressure you're under in India, it's a different beast, and and I think that's why a lot of our best coaches are going over there to challenge yeah. themselves. And do you find that Robbo bringing the different cultures together? Because you see, like in rugby league, a lot of it's made up of a lot of the Polynesian footballs and backgrounds, and and very different cultural. Um, uh, perspectives. Yeah, definitely having an understanding and opening the floor to those different either nationalities, um, cultures, and also yep. religions yep. is really key. Uh, and it's it, in the past it was leave it at the door and yeah. then come in and play rugby league. And and we sort of you know along with a lot of other teams they shifted that along to okay, well let's let's bring in. Uh, your culture and your families. Let's understand that, and now let's share an understanding of where your beliefs come from, and and that's a part of the off-field type work with the players. And then they walk in, and and the whole idea is be who you want to be. Walk in, and you can be yourself, and uh, not be judged by others. But that's cool. But you've got to also have an, an understanding about. Um, when you do have a discussion with them, where their thoughts are coming from. So that takes a fair bit of time um, for guys to, to get to that point. But uh, definitely with our game, that's, that, that, that's been a great understanding. Well, that definitely creates a stickiness, right? And I think the Roosters um, are a family club. And it's, you know, from the other clubs, you hear the throwaway lines, your uncle Nick's going to look after them. But it's, it's a lot more than that. They're really family orientated, aren't you? Well, that's the funny. That, that's only just started sort of coming in in the last few years, where okay. people are starting to say, "Well, uh, uh, yeah. externally, we 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 were seen as the transit lounge for a long period of time, and even the first sort of four or five years of my time there, it was it was um, known as that. And now we're starting to get the family club, which is not it, it's usually the the external feedbacks a few years behind what's happened inside, but we've. We've decided to keep a lot of players over many, many years and we buy stars still to come in. And then we also, we do a lot with the families. We spend a lot of time together. We just had a function on, on after the game on Saturday night. We had the girls go out the, the night before and, and, and have a night. And we, we constantly do things because we want, we, we understand that, that, that they may go out and play for 80 minutes but our best coaches are the ones that are at home with them and supporting them, and, yeah. and they need to feel a part of the whole ride. There's about 280 we talk about that go on the ride for the whole year. It's not just 35 guys. What well, I'm actually saying is that I've noticed, and, and I'm assuming you're, you're a smart man, and it's probably been part of the tactics, but you've got a, a fantastic talent in Joseph Sawali, and I've noticed that he's been involved in the team song with JWH. You got him involved there, so you're creating a bit of a, a legacy almost. Well, that's the beauty of that, yeah. is that was his decision, wow. right? So we always had, it was always um, Jake Friend and, yep. and, and Jared right yep. up the front there, and, and they were the ones that were singing the song, and, and they were the ones that were starting it. And then Jared, Jake retired, um, and then Jared was left on his own. And 
that that that's a small sign. We were so pumped that Joey wanted to go in there and do it. It wasn't. No one said anything to him. And those tiny little things. I remember when he walked in, and we and even the players looked at. Well, actually, what happened? He looked and he said, I come in. And this is how sometimes it happens. Jared looked at him and said, come in. We all looked at each other and went, oh, this is a really good moment for us to see a guy that passionate that he wants to take that place. And when you've got the likes of, say, rugby union sort of swirling around with a talent like that, those little things that keep a goal out of the club. That, that must also be a pleasing thing for, from a coach's point of view. You, you set standards in, in your clubs and, and you want guys to develop. For, and for someone to feel confident so young to, to walk into where your senior players are, and, and I know with our sport, Shane, the song's a huge thing. You've you got yeah. the Australian yeah. captain and, and then you've got Nathan Lyon. It gets handed down um, as, like, David Boone's had it, um, punter heels yeah. and, and everyone's had. So for someone to, so young to, to want to do that, it must be rewarding because it means you're doing all the right things culturally at your club for someone to feel comfortable to do that. Yeah, creating that is sometimes people try and manufacture culture, but the best culture is when it's, as I say, culture is a living a living thing. It's a living organism. And that's for him to, to, want, to feel comfortable enough to get in there. That's, uh, that says that there's lots of other things that are going right. Fane Sport and Hads, I want to ask you about, um, as a, to me, there's a real defining moment. How you as a, as a, as a man, as, as a player, uh, when, when your daughter Mia got really crook, and I know you said you, sh- you shifted your whole thoughts about you're playing professional sport, but it, it wasn't so important anymore. Life, the, the bigger picture became more important. Did woman talk me through that time? Yeah, it was interesting. Like like any father, when you when you get the the phone call, I happened to be in the West Indies that um, that Mia had cancer. We we didn't know the extent of it um, at the time, so your sport stops. You, you spend all your life trying to be the best you can, challenging yourself every day. Is everything a sport does, and 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 it was easy. I just walked away, hopped on the flight, and and I was content that that my time was done. Um, then as Mia went through a treatment plan, and I think I took just over twelve months away for the game. We, we all know different to, to any other family where at some stage someone had to go back to work. Yep. It, it just happened that my job ha- had a profile. Yep. Um, and, and if I'm honest, I, I, I didn't know whether I had the drive right down beside me whether I could come back. Tough, it, a, a lot of sacrifices, not from a family point of view, but to, I, I couldn't mean someone that played the game and, and half get ready. You, you needed to commit to everything that New South Wales stood for and the Australian cricket team. So I sort of my first few games back for, for New South Wales, I actually couldn't get what was going on off my mind. And I remember sitting down with, with my wife at the time and, and just said, listen, I need to know everything that's going on when I'm away. Don't, yep. don't hide anything. Because you can tell in their voice. Yeah. And, and you, you know when something's going on. You, your family talk to you different um, when you're away. Think they're doing the right things, the whole things from you. And I said, listen, I, I need to know everything. And, and from that moment on, I was content. One of the hardest things I found coming back, when I made the decision to come back, I was all in. I, was, I didn't miss a training session. I was there to get better. It was the other people's perception. I remember sitting down at the time with the, the high performance manager and he said, oh, you don't have to come to training. I said, no, no, no. I haven't missed a training for the last month. Thank yeah. you for your concern, but I'm all in. Yeah. If it comes a time where something happens and I have to miss this, I'll let you know. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, and you, you can't, international sports are a privileged position. So 
yeah, it was a, an interesting time um, to, to come back. But once I knew everything, I, I could handle it um, going onto the field. I just needed to know everything was going on. And Mia's good now? She's a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> no, she, she's good. She's got, got a lot of complications now as she's going through different yep. stages that, that she'll have to deal with. Yep. Um, but all in all, things going well. We might just take a quick break now and order some lunch here. We're at uh, District Brasserie, based in Chifley Tower in Sydney. We all know, because I've said it before, it's probably my favourite restaurant in Sydney. I'd say we're going to be having, I think we'll have the octopus carpaccio to start with. Some of those Brimbula oysters. And uh, I'm going to have the fish today. I'm going to have the John Dory with some chips and a salad. Yeah, let's get started. No, Brian beer, of course, and maybe a nice glass of red to wash it down. If you're ready for your next thoroughbred racing adventure, then join the Osher Group. They exceed expectations on what racehorse ownership should look like. Australia's racing industry is enjoying unprecedented growth. Through a strategic, well-managed and data-driven approach, there is now a very real opportunity to build a profitable and sustainable thoroughbred portfolio. Find the Osher Group online at theoshergroup.com. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Whether it's for early morning coffee and pastries, long business lunches or post-work cocktails, head to District Brasserie in Sydney CBD. With a modern Australian menu created to hero locally sourced produce and a unique offering of charred meats cooked on a custom-built charcoal oven. Situated on the ground floor of Chifley Tower, District Brasserie is open Monday to Friday for breakfast, lunch and dinner. District Brasserie, sophisticated yet casual. And, and Robert, you're a father of three, but... Um as a coach, do you almost feel like you're, you're probably a father of 23? How many in your squad? <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, it's interesting the, the different roles that you've got to take. Um, and I think, I don't know, I was quite, I had, uh, I only had my first Noah when, uh, when I first started coaching, or I didn't actually have any kids, but when I started at the Roosters, I had a three-year-old. And then um, the, the idea of having a mix of, girls and boys and then going through the different ages you start to get an understanding what the, what the kids go through and, and, and what our players need but yeah there's so many different hats that you've got to wear as a coach um, and they are kids, they are yeah, they teenagers are. most of the time Yeah I've always said if you if you picked um, you know 10 good looking blokes and 10 good looking girls and made them famous somehow and gave them a heap of money and then followed them and see how they behave um, a lot of people probably be disappointed in their behaviour, and like so, it's, it's a bit unfair on these young sportsmen and women who get given a profile. And and yes, you've got to behave within guidelines of society, but um, yeah, you, you can get without the right people around you, you can get really influenced poorly sometimes. Yeah, if I I asked the question, I remember 
Oh, it would have been maybe 2013, 14. I asked the question, do you think you're a role model? And around some of the incidents. And I think maybe half of them put their hand up okay. at that time. They thought, no, 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 but I want, I'm a footy player and I can yeah. do what I want. And, and I asked the question in 2020 and all of them put their hand up. Jeez, that's and great. so the, the understanding of what their role is on and off the field is better than ever. They, they understand. It doesn't mean things don't go wrong, but... Their, their conscious choices are, are, are very clear on on wearing the Roosters brand or whatever it is really, really well. As a coach, um, you've coached some great leaders. Um, Minicello, Jake Friend, as you meant, JWH and, and Boyd Cordner. Those guys I've just mentioned, what what, what are the, the, the key traits you think they all had in common? Ooh, in common. Well, they're diff- very different in the way that, that, that their leadership style. When you said in common, there's always, yeah. um, to be a good leader, I've seen leaders, not in my time here, but I was lucky enough to have Minicello to start with and then Jake and Boyd and, and Jared and now Teddy. Uh, there's an understanding of, there's a, if, if you are really clear on, on your traits as a leader, they're all very, very different but there's a presence with which you use that in, a, in slightly different ways. You're, they, they don't try to be leaders. The thing I really like about those guys, I've seen guys right. force it, yeah. and, and all of a sudden leadership is a, is, a, is a power position, and they try and use it in that way. And, and the, the guys know when they're not talking the truth in leadership yep. roles, whereas those guys had an ability to, um, their energy projected captain, and they didn't always have to use their words, and they used them in different ways. So Jared, on um, as a captain of our group, during the week he's very good at the one-on-ones and 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 the energy of our group. On game day, he doesn't want to be captain, right? Because he needs to be the alpha male. He needs to push the limits. Yeah. And so understanding how you captain is vital. At which points. And had some, speak about forced sort of leadership, um, you played under Michael Clark. How did you find him compared to, say, Ricky Ponning? I thought, first and foremost, Ricky Ponning was the best leader of men I've ever come across. Wow. I think he, he wore so many, and you talk about so many different caps. He, he was able to, to communicate and have a really clear vision with every different player. And you felt like if you went out with Ricky Ponning, he had your back. He was really articulate in the way he wanted to play the game and how the team wanted to, to be seen, but he knew how to get the best out of every individual. Michael Clark probably came in and he, he was tactically as good as anyone. He, yeah. he had a different lifestyle to what Ricky... Ricky would be around the players a lot, um, a lot of those one-on-one conversations where Michael was more to, to himself. But in saying that, that was my role as as the vice captain to play that part of his, his leadership because once he got on the field we tactic, tactically he was he was outstanding. Um, you only have to see the, the way the spinners were used, uh, Nathan Lyon. I think under him, if he had a different captain at the time it might have been a different result for, for Nathan Lyon, the way the way Michael used him. But they both had the same. They, they both had that willingness to, to win and, and they both wanted to lead the Australian cricket in a better place, both for different reasons, but they, they still had that desire to leave Australian cricket in the best place. I'll well, ask you a question. It's, um, the underlying thing about lunch with Lee, we, we do talk about some men, men's health stuff and unfortunately in the last year, with cricket in particular, we've had some huge losses. Shane Warne, 
Andrew Simons, Rod Marsh and the week Kevin. And thank goodness Ryan Campbell, he had a heart attack, but it's OK. Has that made you question your own mortality a bit? I know I, know I have, and I've gone and had checkups on my heart, and thank goodness I'm, I'm OK at the moment. But, yeah, it's, it's really made me question where you are. Is that Have you found that similar? Oh, I, I don't know if you, you, you question who you are. Um, I think we're all pretty comfortable where we're at. It's been a very sad time, um, obviously, yeah. for the game, leading guys so close to us. But the interesting part from the, the mental health thing, being involved in, in the IPL and things where guys are in hard lockdowns, you, you could actually see, we're, we're in it for two years, basically, and you could see the way they, they change. And a lot of it wasn't about your technical coaching or, or your, your games. It's about making sure those guys were able to, to get up. You could see their energy levels change. They, they got tied in, in, in really strict lockdowns. And, and that, to me, was a, a concerning thing. I, I know I've just had last year off IPL because you, you just needed it. You, yeah. you just you just felt like this is too much. Um, it, it was hard work. And from the coach's point of view, trying to get the players up, week in and week out when they're stuck in together. Australian cricket, they're, they're away for 300 days to, together. So you've got to find ways to, to stimulate them. You've got different people on tour. The sports psychs played an amazing role with um, what's going on now. And, and I think you're going to see now a few guys having extended breaks. We've seen Meg Lennon have a break from the ga- yep. game now just to, to recharge because of that COVID period. If you're enjoying this episode, maybe check out a previous one where I spoke to another Australian wheelkeeper, Adam Gilchrist, and fast bowler Simon Cook, where we spoke everything from AFL to cricket and life. And Robbo, it's really sad news only last week, Paul Green, and I know um, the Roosters are, uh, have got you for life, um, Gus, Gus Wallen's um, charity on there, but really, really sad news, and I tell you, it just... We have the highest male youth suicide rate in the world, which is absolutely, I find fucking disgusting, right? It's bullshit, the, the world we live, right? Um, are we doing enough for our players and our coaches, do you think? I know it's an open-ended question, but... No, we're not. No. Like, it's, it's quite clear that we... Uh, there isn't support, just on coaches, there isn't support for coaches um, outside of the club. Right. So the, the coaches, um, we've been pushing for a long time to, to, to get a coaches association up and going and it's and it's had lukewarm support because of the fears of the financial aspect yes. but, but it's more about welfare and well-being and education and um, the the rigors of the what with Greeny's passing it you know I got to he was assistant coach when we won the premiership in 2013 mm. I got to coach against a, a, a great coach uh, and his understanding and, and I had a beer with him in April when we had um, the 2002 reunion yep. and the, the, the losing of the jobs really hurt Queensland and North Queensland and, and you know he was because he was such a good coach and and you know I'm not exactly sure what what went into yep. um, his mindset there um, and, and talking to Amanda about that but it, it's it, it, the support's not completely there, no, and, not. and and we're getting better with players. Players have do have the support within clubs to open up to, um, but as coaches, you do feel as though you have to wear everything. Yeah, and we we saw it. We saw another example only a few weeks ago with Ricky Stewart. Like I know, I know Ricky Stewart, um, and I won't ask you because he's a peer. But for for me, Ricky Stewart's always been a coach that is too emotional, and it becomes about him. I've, I've met Ricky a few times. He seems like a really good bloke. 
but he was outwardly expressing some sort of deep emotions the other day. How have you found him as a coach, and do you think he's a good coach? Oh, I think anyone who's had longevity in any sports and yeah. um, doing the, the right things. And one thing is, Ricky's always been really passionate about his players. So I think he's he's content where he's at now with the with the Raiders. That that's where he, where his heart is. He does a lot of good work um, with, with charity there. But on this occasion, he just picked the wrong forum. Yeah. Um, but as Robbo said, there there's a lot that, that goes into that. Coaches need that support group as well. We're doing a lot for our players. There's a uh, they know exactly where to go. The, the ACA is doing great things with, with our players, and and I think it's a common trait in, in all sports. There needs to be an avenue for the coaches. They're, they're under the same sort of pressure. They're going through the, the the COVID period as well, and and sports a ruthless business. Yeah, you, you, it's you can be in the the job one day, and then all of a sudden you you, you just see with Justin Langer and. and what your families have to go through. It's not just about you as an individual. It's, it, it's families go through it as well. Now, Robbo, uh, crystal ball. Um, yeah. Come grand final day. Hopefully it's not in Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> have they decided that? Oh, well, mate, uh, the, the rumours are pretty strong. Yeah. I'm hearing and it's going to be going to Brisbane, so I hope not. Um, who are the Roosters playing on grand final day? Ooh. Sharks? I'd love uh, that. Would be that would be the perfect Fitzy. Uh, Fitzy, wouldn't it be a great yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I, um, if I yeah, if I could pick a grand final day, it'd be uh, Roosters v Sharks, um, with Roosters pipping Sharks, obviously <laughs> for poor old Fitzy. But um, yeah, I love amazing coach. You know, and a, an amazing guy, and and he's passing that on to his team. You can see the the vision that they're playing with, and there's the simplicity of hard work that they're playing with as well. Yeah. And that's Fitzy. Uncomplicated, right? And, yep. and I love the article I read about him where he said he smashes himself in jiu-jitsu for an hour and a half on game day so he has the right to tell the players what to do. Yep, that's Fitzy. Is that you, Hads? I'd fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Come game day. But what do you reckon, Hads? Who's in the grand final? Oh, I actually think... Oh, I don't think Penrith going to make it. No, okay. I, I don't, which is a which is a big call. I I'd, I'd like to see not because Rob said I'd like to see Roosters and I'd like to see Toddy Payton in the North Queensland um, boys in there. I think what he's done with with them um, has been amazing where they were last year and yeah I'd like to see that in the grand final because I don't think the Raiders can get there. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on lunch with Lee. We have a nice bit of lunch now. We're at District Brasserie. Um, I know, Robert, you probably get to training, so it'll be a light lunch, mate, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, look, you've both been uh, outstanding um, role models, both on and off the field. Uh, Robert, you're doing a great job. I know, speaking to the, the young Roosters guys, they really look up to you, so you're doing a good job there. And, Hads, you've always been a, a great mate and, and, and a good friend. And if anyone, the stuff we spoke about today, if anyone's having some thoughts and, and is struggling, there are places to reach out, call Lifeline, um, and we'll leave the number on the website. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks once again for coming on the show, boys. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, mate. If anyone's struggling at all, having thoughts uh, regarding suicide, um, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. Um, don't be afraid to reach out. There are people there that can really, really help you. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Trent Robertson and Brad Haddon. Thanks to our sponsors, O'Brien Beer, the Osher Group, and thanks to District Brasserie Sydney for a very tasty lunch. Make sure you hit follow at Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and do us a favour, hit five stars. And while you're there, if you're passionate, please leave a review. Also, come find us on Instagram, I'm at Lunch with Lee. Our official Lunch with Lee photography was done by Felicity Kelly. You can find her on Instagram at Felicity Kelly Portraits. And a big thanks to our producer, Dan McHugh. 
We'll be back soon with some more legends to talk about sport, music and business on another episode of Lunch with Lee. We'll see you then. Do